Hi, everyone. I'm Ian Hamilton, broadcasting from Virtual Reality. Thanks for giving us your time today. I'm joined here by my co-host, who lives an ocean away, but we're using some of the latest consumer VR technologies to feel present in the same space together. We record this live on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific time and broadcast to YouTube live with audience interaction. We can see all your comments. Thank you all for tuning in today. David Heaney, what do we have today? We have a lot to talk about today. As usual this year, there seems to be a lot of VR news this year compared to any year past. We're going to talk about researchers that have demonstrated body tracking from controllers attached, sorry, from cameras attached to VR controllers. We're going to talk about Codec Avatars 2.0, a short clip that Meta has shared of their prototype photoreal avatars and how far they've advanced. We're going to talk about Meta's Q1 earnings call, where they revealed some of their financials around their VR and AR investments, including their revenue that increased, but also their costs that increased even more. And then we'll talk about Project Cambria's price, the amount of RAM it has, and its purpose in the market, as indicated by Mark Zuckerberg. And finally, we'll talk about sort of the biggest VR news today, from what I'm aware of, the information report on the timeline for the next two versions of the low-cost Quest line, the you know the Quest 1 and Quest 2 that we've had so far. It looks like there are two new versions of that coming, so that's what we'll discuss at the end. Yeah, I'll be curious how long we get into some of these discussions because there is a lot to unpack there. So let's just get into that first subject right away. Carnegie Mellon researchers built a body tracking system using cameras on VR controllers. Now, this is, of course, uh, fairly significant because we do know that Project Cambria, based on the leaks, all the information we've seen, those controllers very likely have cameras on them and they'll track themselves, essentially. Heaney, what do we know about this particular line of research? So yeah, this system is called Controller Pose. And as you can see in this image, it works in that they've attached a camera to the top of a Quest 2 controller and the bottom, and they've obviously attached their own chip and battery to the side. But the idea is that this is just a demonstration of what these researchers see could be integrated into future real devices that ship out to consumers. So they've managed to fuse the vision from these two cameras together and run a computer vision algorithm to then derive your body pose, which can then be used to drive your avatar. And obviously today, body tracking isn't something that's included in any VR system. You can, if you have a Steam VR system, you can buy Vive trackers and attach them onto your hip and your legs. But obviously that's going to cost hundreds of dollars. And if you don't have those base stations already, those Steam VR tracking base stations, that'll be hundreds more dollars. So there is a need for solutions that are both lower cost and have a less setup friction and that you don't need external hardware. Because one of the things we've talked about on this show that also could happen is that you could have a camera-based external tracking system where you place little boxes in the corner of your room and there's a camera on them with a little battery and a mobile chip that then runs computer vision-based body tracking. But the problem with that is that's going to be an external accessory, so only a certain percentage of the users would buy it. It's going to have an extra cost to it. It's going to require being set up, you know, either plugged in or having the batteries charged. And so what this system promises and this idea is that you could have body tracking without having to sell any external hardware in that it would be built directly into the controllers. Now, the one problem with this, and that's what I pointed out last time when you brought it up, Ian, is that it can't actually see your body all of the time. In fact, according to these researchers, they did user testing and find that in typical VR experiences, 32% of the time, 
neither controller has a suitable view of your body to actually get a body tracking pose. So only around two thirds of the time would you get body tracking with this. But of course, you know, you can point out the fact that that's better than today, which is 0% of the time that you have body tracking. But it still does mean that this can't really be the ultimate solution to fully reliable body tracking. Though, as, as we pointed on our article, you could maybe imagine that views on from the controllers and cameras on the headset pointing down would be fused. But as many people have pointed out with the idea of using cameras on the headset for body tracking, as headsets get slimmer and slimmer and move more into, into your face, they're going to be able to see less of your body. And certain people's body shapes mean that even with current headsets, they're not going to have a good view of your legs. So this is body tracking is still this space where there are a lot of potential solutions but there's nothing that really ultimately solves for everything, which is you know perfect reliability at a low cost and low setup requirement. Yeah, Heaney, I think the fundamental question here is, do you think this is an integrated feature in uh, future headsets, or is it uh, going to be an add-on accessory and, and you only get the good body tracking when you pay extra for external hardware? Well, I think that you know what the researchers have demonstrated here is that Given that, as you say, Project Cambria's upcoming controllers do have cameras on them and do have a chip that is clearly powerful enough to at least process those cameras for simultaneous location mapping, you know, positional tracking in the same way that inside-out headsets use, if not them, a future version with more computing power and a larger battery and differently placed cameras certainly could get to this level of tracking. But again, you're talking about two-thirds of the time. As to the obvious next question of, will it be on Cambria's controllers? We did see in those leaked tutorial videos back in September, some form of body tracking from Cambria. And, you know, it was done in front of a virtual mirror in this little tutorial video. So a lot of people speculated, is this a real life mirror that has to be used? Is it the cameras on the headset? It could theoretically be the cameras on the controllers. But the one major caveat I would point out there is that on this controller in controller pose what these researchers have demonstrated that bottom camera is facing kind of directly at your body and there's no such camera at the bottom handle of the cambrius controllers because you know we've seen them now in the dark teaser video we've seen them in the leaked 3d model that came out last year of this headset and controllers and we've seen it in those tutorial videos and from the looks of it there is a top camera like there is in controller pose here but the other two cameras are actually on the other side of the controller facing away from you so I don't imagine that Cambria specifically will have this. I could be wrong. It could be they, those controller, those cameras could be kind of on the side facing more inwards than I'm expecting. But it does seem that this is a viable path in the future to getting body tracking at least some of the time out of the box. Yeah, Bertie Blob asking this sort of fundamental question, is body tracking actually that important? I think that's an interesting one, and it's kind of the question of what level of fidelity do you want out of your body tracking? I think there's plenty of instances where the apps can be enhanced by knowing something about the rest of your body. But if it's not tracked well and reliably and all the time, then you can't build software experiences around that added input, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, is body tracking useful? Absolutely. I think in many ways, the reason you may not think it's useful today is that we don't have it. We at least, you know, you don't have it built into any system. But even from this quick image you see here, 
the legs, there are a huge number of potential use cases for tracking your legs in terms of what developers can build around gaming. For example, it opens up anything with kicking, including football. It opens up things like being on a virtual kind of board of some sort and, and leaning from side to side, because right now you only kind of know whether the user's head's doing that, not whether their actual feet are doing that. And then there's the obvious social VR applications in that the more of someone's body language and expressions you can see, the more it's going to feel like you're actually standing across from them because today you know when you have decent hand tracking and in the, in the near future when we have face and eye tracking you're going to be able to get a decent facsimile of sitting across from someone but if you're standing and you're pushing yourself around with a, a thumbstick the body's kind of awkwardly sliding across the virtual room which doesn't really feel anything like how a real person moves but if you had a, a small room scale space and you're kind of walking around and talking to someone that's going to kind of allow you to convey the kind of body language that today is only possible in either the real world or in a video call where you happen to have a very wide field of view camera and a very large screen, which very few people have. I actually see people in our comments talking about how cool it will be in the future when we actually get face tracking, real face tracking into these headsets. Heaney explains this uh, constantly on our show that these avatars are driven by the sounds that we make, more or less. Some of the lip movements are. And then the eye movements are attached to basically points of interest in the room. If I'm looking at the camera, the software can assume that my eyes are pointed at the camera. But in the near future, we very well could have face tracking and eye tracking systems integrated with this, and it will be a whole new day in this studio for all of our viewers out there watching this. But I, I think this is such a great thing to transfer into the next subject, uh, where we're talking about codec avatars. Here, Heaney. And one of our commenters was yeah, making this comment about eventually seeing our real expressions in the studio. And that's why this goes hand in hand. This, this info goes hand in hand because it seems like that we're beginning this show talking about some of the software things that need to happen. And then we're going to end the show with some of the hardware that could actually deliver some of these experiences. So, Heaney, what do we know about Codec Avatars 2.0? So we actually know very little in that we only really saw this short clip, which I'm about to cast up here, shared at an MIT virtual humans workshop last month in April. So MIT hosted a conference where they had people coming from different research departments and different companies and talking about their progress on various aspects of very virtual humans, from the rendering to the animation, to the integration, to issues around the ethics of virtual humans. And obviously, one of the projects that we've been following for a long time at Upload VR, and if you're a VR enthusiast, you may have been following too, is Meta's Codec Avatars, which is their kind of very ambitious long-term research project to try and result in photorealistic avatars. And when I say photorealistic, I don't just mean in terms of how they look, because that's actually the easy part, but in how they move, which is the hard part. And they're driven by five cameras on the headset you've got your eye tracking cameras and three cameras externally facing your the lower part of your face and they've gotten to the point where they're really starting to approach photorealism which is a stark contrast to the avatars you see here which are obviously meta's current avatars which are very cartoony and obviously the big question is over this decade how are they going to transition from these kind of avatars to these kind of avatars? Or is this going to be an entirely separate thing where in some experiences you're using your cartoony kind of expressionistic avatar, whereas in others you're using a photoreal one? And, and most likely the, the transition here would be between 
apps where you're only sitting in a, in a very basic environment with a few people where the headset isn't doing something computationally expensive. So it has the resources left over to render a realistic avatar like this versus something like Horizon Worlds where you have a large kind of dynamic world with lots of people and interactions occurring where you know no time soon is a standalone headset going to be able to render any of these avatars. And one of the interesting things about Codec Avatars 2.0 is that whereas back in the days of 2018, 2019, when this was first being shown off, these could only be rendered in real time on a PC. They actually say that now they can render a very basic scene with four of these avatars on a Quest 2. So the hard part is obviously still running the machine learning algorithm to convert these inputs to this output, but at least they can now render on the Quest 2. And obviously the other hard part, which is still unsolved, is capture. Today, they actually generate these avatars for each person using this massive kind of uh, circular, sorry, spherical capture rig that you step inside of that has something like 132 4K cameras pointed inwards. And to be clear, that's not what drives this avatar. That's just what generates it in the first place. But they're going to have to demonstrate a way for people at home to be able to generate their own avatar because you can't rely on some sort of location that people have to go to to update their avatar. This needs to be something that realistically you can hold your smartphone up and pan it around your face for a few minutes and have it generate. And if they can't get to that, then this is never going to be something that people can use in a consumer context. Yeah, and some of these research threads, I've seen that they kind of train the system with one head-worn device and then sense the movements with another head-worn device. And I'm noticing in the comments, Meow Mix mentioning meta stores could be used in the future as a quick way for users to go in and get scanned for their codec avatars. Uh, we've wondered that in the past and talked about that possibility. It's just a question of, are they going to skip straight to you know, giving maybe your LiDAR-enabled phone to a friend to walk around you and get a full 360 of your body with, with LiDAR scanning from a smartphone? Or like, is, is that even necessary? Can they go to just a simple 2D photograph and get all the data they need to drive something like this from that small a data set? To do that with the store run out, like that, you just described an incredible array of cameras needed to get that quality of a photo scan. And I can't imagine that being scalable, but maybe, maybe it would be. No, I, I agree with you that that simply is not scalable. It will need to be not a LiDAR enabled phone, just any modernish smartphone, any phone within the past four or five years will need to get to the point where it can be panned around your face for a few minutes and generate this for this to be scalable. And to be clear, Meta is open about the fact that this system is years away from arriving consumer headsets. And one of the comments that the lead of the Kodak Avatars team made when presenting this was that they said back when they started in around 2018, 2019, or when they at least presented it first in 2018, 2019, they said that this was 10 miracles away from being in consumer hands. And they say it's now five miracles away from being in consumer hands. So if you were to assume some sort of linear progress, that would mean we're about four years out from seeing something like this. But obviously that's that's silly. You can't assume any kind of linear progress in that sense. So I think this is something that we can expect later in the decade, not anytime soon. But, but obviously we should talk about the implications. If they can get this to work and they can get they can make it so that when you're sitting across from someone in VR, it really looks like them down to every little detail. And more importantly, it moves like them. It's going to change 
how people can remotely communicate completely because it means that you get the advantages of a video chat but with the ability to make eye contact and feel like you're not looking at them on a rectangle in front of you, but that they're actually sitting across from you. And more than that, you can have shared objects like video screens, watching Netflix or notes or some kind of collaboration tool. That means that you're not just limited to having to either be face to face or have the awful kind of primitive version of today's communication technologies of video chats there will be a middle ground there that makes uh, communicating with friends and family in other countries or even in other parts of your country simply much more immersive than it is today yeah there was this image i saw in a presentation from michael abrash that's the head of research at meta and he was talking about the communication channels that existed in the year 1971 So he was charting it out from 50 years uh, after this particular presentation was given. So 81, 91, 01, 11, 21, uh, 50 years after 71. And in 71, they had landlines, television, radio, U.S. mail, newspapers, and magazines. And that was your way of long-distance communicating back in that day. And he referred to this as the first great wave. I can't remember what what the exact phrasing was, but it was the first great wave in communications technology. And he refers to their work, uh, the work at Meta, as the second great wave, the next 50 years. And what we're talking about fundamentally here, this this ability to have what feels like a face-to-face interaction, even though you are literally physically separated by thousands of miles. And Heaney and I do this on a weekly basis right now, and you've got this weird cartoon avatar, but I still feel like I'm present with you. What a lot of the people out there watching us and watching what Meta advertises can't comprehend until they actually experience is what it feels like to have one of those holographic calls, right? Where, where they really do nail the avatars of both participants to that degree that you feel like you're actually present. And that is going to be like a light bulb moment for a lot of people, like kids that are born after having a call like that when they're very young, can't imagine a world without that technology in it. Right, Heaney? Yeah, because it it completely changes the nature of human communication and perhaps even human society because the human brain has an entire section devoted to recognizing faces that are nearby and recognizing other people and categorizing them as entirely separate things from the other objects around you and you may have had this experience before if you're in a clothes shop and you walk by a walk by a mannequin and as it enters your peripheral vision your brain for a second starts to kind of consider it a person and you get that very strange feeling that there is a person right beside you and that feeling is just not created at all by a video call a video call may look like your friend but it never really feels to your brain that that is your friend in front of you and if we can get technology that does trigger that effect in the brain that makes you actually feel like that person is sitting right beside you then that's going to be one of the most profound inventions and sort of innovations in the history of technology. So it's arguably one of the core use cases for AR and VR. And it may be that it, that social presence is the killer app, despite the fact that today the main kind of applications and focus on VR is just in pure gaming. 
Yeah, and I'm seeing uh, these comments of people concerned about the company that's actually searching for this information. And I've seen people talk about Black Mirror episodes, of course, and the upload show over on Amazon. People's minds really going to the end goal of all of these things, which, you know, we're, you know, the, you know what I'm getting is the sense that the end is in sight, right? Like you've talked about this idea that we're at the end of the beginning, maybe. Well, I've also kind of got the shape in my head of what the end kind of looks like for the first time, right? A lot of these technologies are coming together. We're starting to see what the software and hardware layers need to be in order for this uh, stuff to roll out. Are we ready to move on to the revenue discussion? Because I think that that kind of gives us a good, clear assessment of where we are here in 2022. Yeah, the last thing I was just going to say about this is that just as you've said there about talking about what does that end goal look like, I think we should talk about how Meta always kind of points to the fact that in Xerox Park, Xerox's research division back in the 70s, they developed many of the current technologies that are used today, including, you know, windows and a mouse that's used to click on menu elements and position them and all the kind of graphical user interface primitives that are a part of pretty much all computing platforms today. And when Steve Jobs first went there, he said at the time something along the lines of, you could just see how it was inevitable. You could argue about how long it would take. You could argue about who would be the winners. You could argue about how exactly it would come to fruition, but it was just so obvious that this was going to be the future of computing. And I think once we start to see some of these research elements that we talk about a lot on this show and an upload VR about VR and AR and where it could be in 10 or 20 years, you can just see the inevitability and it's, it's obvious that it is going to happen. It's just kind of crazy that the commentary out there, right? The people that sort of only get a 30 second view into the state of VR, right? They see it in the Super Bowl and they see these cartoon avatars and there's just this gut reaction. I don't want that. Why would we want that? And you can't really necessarily see the end here. And so it's kind of like it lends to this narrative where people are like, VR is dead. VR is dead. VR is dead. VR is awkward. VR is everywhere. Right? Like it's kind of like going to be that way. They're going to call it dead until it's this and everywhere and we absolutely need it to get our day done i think yeah i mean most people said that about every new technology though until it becomes so normal and then at that point they consider that it was always inevitable that it would become widespread in use it's a, it's a strange cycle to see but you can actually look back at news articles of pretty much every technology that we all use today every day and you have the exact same commentary and then by today of, oh, of course touchscreen smartphones were the inevitable computing platform of the future but at the time the new york times were saying how strange it would be that people would ever decide to change from using a phone with a keyboard to using one where you awkwardly type and miss the letters i just want to point out that we have uh, brad lynch in our comments sadly it's bradley hello thank you for watching hello brad all right, are we ready to move on to the revenue situation? So Meta's Q1 AR VR revenue is up 35%, quote, driven by Quest 2. So that's year-over-year growth of 35%. At the same time, during the same period, costs grew by 55%. So there are billions of dollars, more than $10 billion annually, I think is where Mark Zuckerberg put the scale of this investment coming from Meta, and we're actually starting to get a picture of a, a trend here play out of what this revenue looks like against the costs that it's generating. Heaney, what can we learn from, from these trend lines? 
Yeah, so Meta started to actually break out their AR and VR financials from the rest of the company's financials last year. And they gave kind of retroactive data from quarter four of 2020. So this is not like an arbitrary data set we've chosen. This is everything that they've actually revealed so far. And what you can see here is that costs are rising dramatically, which is causing the loss from this division to rise dramatically. But that's because they're considerably increasing their investment in things like research and development, in the hiring that's required for research and development. And Mark Zuckerberg actually said on this earnings call that a lot of these costs are driven by staffing and funding and resourcing the teams that are working on the next generations of hardware, which is what we'll talk about at the end as our last story. But the other thing in the more kind of immediate sense is that, as you say, while the costs did increase from quarter one 2021 to quarter one 2022 by 55%, the revenue went up by 35%. So Quest 2 actually did better in the holiday season of 2021 than it did in the holiday season that it was introduced in holiday 2020. And that kind of goes against what a lot of people had perhaps assumed, which was that it would have its sort of large sales period as it was first launched. And then every you know, Christmas or holiday period thereafter, it would get smaller and smaller until the next generation was out. But what that sort of indicates to me is that it may have been some of the content in 2021 that actually brought a lot of people in. Though it could obviously be, you know, content like Resident Evil 4, content like that. But it could be also just that as the word of mouth of the product spread over time and as new features were introduced, more people kind of went over the line than when it had just been out for two months in October. Yeah, sort of what I have in my head is this picture of sort of starting up an engine, right, to try to get to this place where this bar even exists, right, at, at all. Like any amount of revenue out of these bars is a win from Meta's perspective. Heaney put these bars green at my request because they're the Christmas quarter and I wanted them to look Christmassy just by glance. And those quarters, that Q4 of each year, is always going to be stair-stepped higher than all the other quarters of the year because everyone is going and getting these VR headsets for Christmas. And this year, for the first time, Meta is likely going to have two standalone, six-doff controller track devices on the market to contribute to Q4 2022. So when we go and look at this chart next year, this green bar could be way, way, way bigger, right? Just between Quest 2 getting out there to more people, the word of mouth, the added advertising efforts they'll probably throw at it later this year, plus they'll have a second product line. And it has all the great benefits of the first product line. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk about some of those things later, but what we're going to see here is the costs are going to go up significantly as well, but at the same time, aren't the revenues going to go up not just as significantly, but they're going to go up significantly too, right, Heaney? Well, I would play devil's advocate here and say that, you know, from the Meta Gaming Showcase, the kind of thing that's been revealed for this year doesn't seem to be quite as big as the likes of Resident Evil 4 and Medal of Honor that came last year. Then you've also got the Osborne effect in that, what we'll talk about at the end of the show, Quest 3 being kind of teased and reported on that it may be coming next year, may make a lot of people a lot more hesitant to buy a Quest 2 this holiday season than they would have last. I would say that it may be, it may either level out 
or that growth may even slightly decline because a lot of people aren't going to want to get a headset for Christmas that's going to be replaced by next Christmas. Though, again, you have to point out, obviously, as you've said, the effect of Cambria being added on there is going to mean that that changes. Whereas even if a smaller number of people, a much smaller number of people purchase Cambria, which is likely, that higher price means that the revenue coming in for it is going to be more significant. But I think what we really want to have a look at is kind of quarter two and quarter three when they come in this year, you know, later this year, once you get that data, because that'll tell us, you know, in the middle of the year, completely detached from this kind of holiday gifting period, how well is this business still continuing to do? And then obviously in the much longer term, the fact that we now have this data broken out means that we can now track the success of Meta's Quest division over time. Sorry, Meta's uh, Quest product line over time. We can see when Quest 3 comes out, when Quest 4 comes out, how much does that really grow the market? And then we can say, based on the differences between Quest 2 and Quest 3 and Quest 4, what were the features and what were the content that really caused an explosion in the amount of people that started to adopt this technology? Hmm. I want to talk about Project Cambria. I think we're ready to talk about it. So Cambria, we've, we've got some info about Project Cambria, and I think that folds into this discussion quite a bit. This week, we've gotten confirmation that Project Cambria, this high-end work-focused headset from Meta, will cost significantly more than $800. Now, that obviously still opens us up to an enormous price range that device can hit, but it's not around $800 according to Meta. That's a big deal. A lot of our viewers out there own Quest. They've been brought into VR by Quest by this low-cost device what else do we know about Cambria right now, and uh, what is sort of still unknown at this point? So I've just realized from my notes that there was one last thing I needed to say about the uh, earnings call there that we didn't point out that Zuckerberg actually told investors something very interesting, a quote that we should definitely make sure to point out. He was kind of justifying why they're going to be investing tens of billions over the next decade, and he said... We are laying the groundwork for what I expect to be a very exciting 2030s when this is established as the primary computing platform. And he even told investors that he's willing to trade off against shorter term financial goals to make that a reality. So that's very interesting there in that he's telling them financially, this is not going to be a major profit maker for the business until the next decade. And that until then, he's actually prepared to trade off their profits to make that happen. So the, the, all I was going to say there is that based on that and based on the financials we've seen, this is likely going to be the largest bet in the history of the tech industry. And mm-hmm. it seems like it will either pay off spectacularly or cause the downfall of Meta, which is going to be very interesting to see. Well, and that's where we, I think we get into their hardware decisions, right? As soon, there's people in our comments pointing out that, yeah, we still have nothing reasonable on the market competing with what Quest 2 is doing, right? There's nothing even with a couple hundred dollars that competes in the same markets. And until that exists, a lot of what we discuss about competition or the future of computing, right? It's Meta's future until we hear someone else actually come and fight with that vision uh, with competing technologies and we've got things that are very PC-based or console-based, but in the standalone space where this platform stands on its own, Meta is kind of in a class by itself there. 
I'm seeing a sadly it's Bradley mention our comments. I only heard the bill of materials was $800. So that's an interesting comment from Bradley there explaining why some people might be hearing this $800 number. Because the thing that's going to be we expect about Cambria is they're very likely to seek something other than a loss leading device with it, right? Like they may actually try to seek hardware profit or is it going to be at cost, Heaney? Yeah, I think based on that, it seems likely to me that if this thing really is significantly more than $800, which is what Meta has said, then they probably are going to try and make a profit off it. Because Quest 2, as we know, is a subsidized device. It's either being sold at cost or at at some sort of loss because there's no way you can really sell that hardware for a profit at $300. But if they're trying to make this a long-term business, one of the things Zuckerberg might be saying to investors and to the financial people within his company is, well, we will have this separate hardware product line for more advanced users, for remote work, for enthusiasts, where we will actually decide to make a little bit of a profit, and that'll kind of offset a lot of the losses that we're making on Quest 2. And one of the reasons they want to have a loss on Quest 2, obviously, is so they can grow the market as much as possible. And that will have funneling on advantages to the higher end headsets like Cambria, because it's going to be, in many cases, the same content. Obviously, with its mixed reality cameras, sorry, its mixed reality capabilities with color pass through cameras, there's going to be a new class of applications that would either not run on Quest 2 or just be a lot less compelling on the black and white pass through of Quest 2. But in many cases, the core software is going to be the same. So I think if this thing is something like $1,200 or $1,500, then yeah, they probably are making a profit on it. So I just did some math, and so correct me, Heaney, if my math is stupid here or comments, you can correct me on this math. But I want to say that Meta has somewhere on the order of 75,000 employees, somewhere in that range. Does that sound right, Heaney? Across their entire company? Yeah, I think it's something like that, but those aren't working on BRAR. Well, yeah, but they offered to buy every one of them a Quest 2 back in the day. And the thing about Cambria is they are specifically focusing on this as being a work-focused device. They want this to be the device that you use to come to your job in the future, basically. And I can't see any way around Meta not making that same offer to every one of their employees for Cambria whenever it hits. So imagine this device is $1,000, isn't that, if they went and, and did that, isn't that an expense of something like $75 million if they wanted to equip every one of their employees with this Cambria device? I mean, that's, I, I, I'm just pointing out the scale of all of those things because I do think that Mark Zuckerberg and Andrew Bosworth are thinking in those types of terms. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to do that, but if they aren't at least exploring it, I I would be surprised because the way this company operates, they dog food and try out a lot of these technologies themselves before rolling it out to a broader audience. And they've already done it with Quest 2. And Cambria is this device that they mean to be, you know, they've already set this requirement internally among managers that you have to take some calls in Horizon, don't you? So it just makes perfect sense that they would try to push this device across all their employees. I don't think a $75 million expense to get all your employees the same hardware you want to transform every other company with is out of the question for them. 
Yeah, no, that seems very viable. I would point out that it doesn't need to be all of those employees. It just needs to be the ones that are working remotely. And if you remember, Mark Zuckerberg last year actually said that he wants by 2030, everyone at Facebook who isn't a, working on something that has to be in person, such as hardware, to be able to work remotely. He wants to be the first tech company that essentially goes entirely remote. And obviously that's based on the fact that they're building the software and the platforms and the hardware to try and make this possible. So as you say, they want to dog food it and prove it out. So I, I would completely expect that they want to push the latest hardware to their employees. And that kind of investment really isn't big on the grand scheme of things when you look at what they're actually spending. They're spending billions every quarter on this. Uh, something between 50 and 100 million as a one-off payment every two years doesn't seem significant at all. Yeah, so I'm looking at uh, Bicycle's comment here and, uh, quote, I feel like there's a difference between a work-focused and an enterprise headset. If Meta wants Cambria as a work headset, keeping it 1K makes sense. If it's enterprise, significantly higher. I like that delineation there between an enterprise headset and a work-focused headset because uh, the headsets that are shipping now as enterprise devices are typically used for, like, temporary short-lived training scenarios but uh i don't think that's what cambria and what meta wants they like maybe that's one use case and that's one uh category that they want this device used for but it it far more likely seems like they want people wearing these devices for large segments of their workday so if quest is a device where they want to motivate you to buy games and spend time with games the success of Cambria is going to be, are you spending more minutes per day in this headset than the Quest 2? Yeah, we should talk about the quote that's kind of behind this story, which is that at, in that earnings call, Mark Zuckerberg said the following. He said, later this year, we will release a higher-end headset codenamed Project Cambria, which will be more focused on work use cases and eventually replacing your laptop or work setup. So they don't mean that this is a work-focused headset in the sense that, as you say, it's supposed to be using training applications. They mean that they want this to be your workspace, whereas today you might have a laptop on a desk. In the future, Zuckerberg wants you to use a headset like Cambria combined with a keyboard and perhaps a mouse, where, as you see in this kind of screenshot, you have multiple virtual monitors of whatever size you want. And John Carmack last year in a discussion said that the idea here is that they want to take on, at least initially, Chromebooks because Quest and the Quest OS in this context isn't running Windows or Mac applications or even Linux applications. It's running web apps. You're, you essentially have a browser with multiple windows. And so you have the choice between a Chromebook, which has maybe a 13-inch screen that you hunch over in front of you, and yes, it's portable, but it's a tiny little single screen, and something like a Project Cambria headset, where you have three giant monitors floating in front of you wherever you are, and all you need to bring is the headset and the keyboard. And so that's really the, the specific use case they're going for. The idea is it's a magic Chromebook that folds out into three giant monitors. And obviously, if you're someone today who already has a stationary work setup with your three triple monitors in front of you, that's not something that's going to be yet compelling for you. But if you're someone who's always 
on the move, who's kind of going from hotel to hotel or from kind of different locations, or maybe even just live somewhere for six months and another place for three months. And you like to move around the world, or maybe even the, the nature of your job means that you're always working from different locations, such as reporters in different kind of war zones and contexts like that. The idea of having this very powerful, expansive remote work setup in front of you could be very compelling. Obviously, at significantly higher than $800, it's not going to be compelling yet. But over time, when they can start to bring the features of Cambria into the main quest line, or when they can even bring down the price of the experience that this is providing, I'd say a lot more people could be convinced to switch over from something like a Chromebook. Definitively, what we know is at least Meta saying that it will be significantly more than $800. So as we're kind of understanding or, or the guess in the, the gap in the reporting out there may be that maybe the bill of materials is somewhere in the range of $800, but it may be priced in a completely different way. I'm still doubtful that the, the price is that the bill of materials could be in that area, or even that you could determine price from that bill of materials. Like it's so hard to determine what Meta is going to do strategy-wise from any amount of of like sheet of materials, right? Like there is so much put into getting it to that place where they've got the materials, the research, and then there's just that long-term bet of how they want to turn these products into profit centers that could just completely change the price. And that price might be kept uh, under lock and key and change by hundreds of dollars when they see what the competition is doing as well. Right, Heaney? I, th I think it's possible that they don't actually know the exact final price yet because we're in this kind of very unique situation over the past few years where the supply chain is just in total chaos compared to what it was for the most of the history of kind of consumer mobile technology. So what they're able to actually secure the components for, obviously these arrangements are made in advance, but as supply starts to become more constrained they're going to have to look for multiple suppliers from certain components and there's going to be other factors that influence what they're able to price this at so it's possible that neither the name or the kind of final marketing elements nor the price have been specifically decided yet though re reports so far indicate that this may launch somewhere around september so we're probably approaching the time where they have planned this out but again there's from what we understand from the leaks so far or you know the apparent leaks so far there's nothing fundamentally crazy expensive in Cambria. It's more expensive to put the battery in the rear because you have to do kind of very advanced wiring that will survive all of the different ways that you're going to move a head strap and not break. And obviously it's still more expensive because the further you need to have it from the components, that, that adds a lot of engineering complexity. Many LED displays are more expensive than the standard LCDs, but they're not, you know, it's not like they're five or 10 times more expensive. They're, they might be two or three times more expensive. Something like pancake lenses, yes, they are more expensive than Fresnel lenses. But again, it's the same order of magnitude. And we've seen pancake lens devices ship for much lower than $1,000, albeit not fully standalone. More cameras on things like the controllers and the headset. Again, yes, more expensive, but nothing that changes it by an order of magnitude. So... It's likely it's just all of these little things adding up together that's bringing Cambria to that price. But again, I still don't think if it's going to be significantly over that they are they must be making quite a healthy margin on it. Mm. The one thing that we should talk about specs-wise is that the leak that came this week, which is that uh, Brad Lynch, who's in our comments, and some of his associates, I believe Samulia and Reggio4, find a shipment log for a shipment going 
to Meta, which was labeled Seacliff BCM, Seacliff being the codename for Project Cambria's headset, with 256 gigabyte slash 12 gigabyte in the description. And given that, you know, Quest 2 is sold currently with 128 and 256 gigabyte models, that 256 gigabytes is almost certainly referring to the storage. And that other gigabyte figure, 12 gigs, is almost certainly the RAM. The current Quest has six gigabytes of RAM. So that would be a significant increase over what we're seeing in the current hardware. And that could allow for completely different multitasking capabilities than what we currently have, wherein today you have to kind of only really have one app open at once. Yes, you can have three browser windows open if you're in the home screen. But right now, if I wanted to check something in the Quest browser, I would have to close this app, open the browser, search what I'm searching for, open the app again, and if I wanted to kind of check check anything else, repeat that entire process. For these headsets to be truly useful in a remote work context, you need to be able to bring up the browser right now within less than two seconds and quickly search something and close it back down. And that's probably what that significantly expanded RAM is for. And Brad also claims to have a source that has revealed to him that Meta is working on a kind of re-architecture of this Quest home space and the operating system that will allow for exactly that. That will allow for apps to be suspended and then others to brought up so that you can instantly resume where you left off. And that's something I suspect Apple will focus on heavily for their headset with their kind of powerful M1-like chip and something that Meta is going to have to use a lot of software magic and brute force RAM to achieve in something like Cambria if they're still using Qualcomm's chips. And I'm seeing Bradley in our comments suggesting that they might switch to a different class of RAM as well in the next device. Uh, That would be an interesting little uh, change that could happen. We need to go into talking about Quest 3 and the Quest 4 timeline, but I think we could sort of recap how some of this information got out there this week. So there was a report from the information, and they reported two bits of information in that information report. They suggested having heard from two sources that the price of Cambria was targeting for $799. Then there was a separate sentence to that in that report that said, actually, Meta says it will be priced significantly higher than that. We, Upload VR, independently reached out to Meta to confirm that, yes, in fact, Meta is saying that the Cambria device will be priced significantly higher than $800. And then, of course, in that information report, they also had timelines outlined for Meta's next several devices. Now, we've got reports from The Verge and The Information, which are reporting a whole slew of head-worn devices. Both AR and VR have been basically put onto a roadmap over the next decade. And as I understand it, Mark Zuckerberg is being... Sauron's eye watching all of this develop, right? Because it's just, who wouldn't, right? If you're in that position and you know the future of technology is going to be uh, dictated by the technology that you're working on, wouldn't that have all of your focus? Heaney, what do we know about Quest 3 and 4 based on this report? And can we really trust what is in this report as being what's actually going to happen? So it didn't really reveal a lot of information. All that we've heard here is that obviously, as we all know, and Meta has confirmed, Project Cambria is coming this year as a headset that is separate to the main Quest line. It is not a Quest 3. 
It does not replace Quest 2. It will be sold alongside it. And this report says that there will be a successor to the Quest line, two new headsets in 2023 and 2024. It did not say whether these are actually going to be called Quest 3 and Quest 4. It's possible that one of them could be a Quest 2, or sorry, one of them could be a Quest 3 and one could be a Quest 3 Slim. It's possible the other could be a Quest 3 Plus. It's possible that the first one could be a Quest 2 Plus and the next one a Quest 3. We don't, we don't know anything about it other than the code names are Stinson and Cardiff and that they are slated to release in 2023 and 2024. And the final thing that report said is that the Cambria line, it may be called Quest Pro, will also get a successor in 2024. So two years after Cambria that will release this year. Not much information there other than to give that. And obviously Meta gave a statement to the information saying that these things are all up for change. You know, when you're developing hardware over a time scale like this, you can't really have a set year that you're sure you're going to deliver. These are just the target years. But it does seem that, they, interestingly, they replied and they didn't deny the report. So I think from that, we can gauge that it probably is reliable other than the figure they gave of $800 for the price of Cambria, which Meta specifically did deny. So there's a couple things happening with these product lines that I I have a real tough time seeing how it's going to sort of play out at the end of the day. So we've got the indications that Cambria is going to have these controllers that track themselves. We started off this report today talking about how there's research showing that you could maybe do some full body tracking from controllers that track themselves. And as soon as you've got controllers that track themselves, you could potentially unbundle the controllers from the experience. The problem is, if you've got all of your apps built for controller-based input, then forcing all of those apps over to this hands-free interaction isn't going to work. You, you can't, all those game buyers aren't going to want to go to having no haptics overnight, right? And so how do you make this transition to a hand-tracking-only based VR headset? When do we have that device, Heaney? That's an interesting question, and it could be an explanation for why there are two of these low-cost devices coming out so soon. Because it would seem odd that if they're going to release a Quest 3 in 2023, that would be three years after Quest 2, that they would then immediately follow it up with a Quest 4 a year after. That that doesn't seem to make sense at all. So it's possible that it will be something like something that is a Quest device, but designed specifically for use in hand tracking. But again, then it does kind of offer the question, why wouldn't that just be Quest 3 sold without the controllers? It doesn't seem to make much sense at all. The real question for me, though, is, if you have Quest 2 today at $300 and you have Quest Pro or whatever it ends up being called, Project Cambria, at much more than, sorry, significantly more than $800, what does Quest 3 get from Cambria at its presumably around $300 price? Maybe they go up to $400, but it's unlikely. And what does it not get? And for me, one of those things that it doesn't get would be those self-track controllers. Because what it adds isn't as significant as what the cost increase is. To me, I think it's likely that we will still see these traditional low-cost LED ring controllers in something like Quest 3. 
Whereas you may get some of the core features of the headset that Zuckerberg's talked about being important, like eye tracking and face tracking, but probably not some of the other features in there in Cambria because it's not worried about cost, like the battery being balanced into the rear or pancake lenses. I'd say what we may see out of Quest 3, and this is complete speculation for my part, I do not have any sort of insider information. We may see Quest 3 being something that is optically kind of more like the Quest 2, but with some of the extra facial tracking features of Cambria and with a more powerful chip that's just enabled by the progression of time. James pointing out that there is obviously a lot more than just simple haptics to the advantages of controllers. They afford low physical bandwidth interactions, and obviously the buttons are extremely reliable, right? That's that's the beauty of a button. You press it, you know something is going to happen every single time. And you kind of lose that with an interaction where you're pinching, and maybe it only recognizes it 99 out of 100 times. You really want it to be a hundred times for you know hundred times out of a hundred for certain types of games interactions work. This discussion gets really complicated for people trying to watch us because a lot of the people out there, even if they're owning Quest devices, are uncomfortable with the idea that their headsets know more about them than the Quest does. Right. So when we start talking about these. Cambria high-end work-focused devices, there's a lot of people out there whose alarm bells go off and actually they don't necessarily benefit from having better avatar interactions, right? They just want a better VR game at the end of the day. And I don't see how, they, they can't see how better avatars get them there. And at $300, you need to strip out every single feature that isn't absolutely core to the experience. Do we go to $200 with Quest with no controllers and just better hand tracking? And at that point, is it even a Quest, right? Do they change the name and go with something entirely different to clarify that this is a different product category? They've obviously changed the branding so much. Why not just keep going, I guess? It does seem that they've solidified around that MetaQuest branding. So I'd say they're going to stick with that for a while. But, you know, I was just going to point out on your, on your thing, it's not about getting people who use controllers today to switch over to hands. That's that's not what they're likely to do, and it doesn't seem like that's ever going to work. It's about bringing in an entirely new class of people to VR who do not want to use gaming-like controllers. They who look at thumbsticks and triggers and are just completely turned off by that idea, and it's not the way they want to interact with technology. It's, it's important to remember that games consoles and even PC gaming are really a tiny fraction of technology users compared to the much wider users that use things like tablets and laptops and smartphones. And so if Meta wants to bring those users in, they don't really care if most of the app library doesn't work with gaming controllers because that's not what they've, what they will be purchasing headsets for. If they can focus around these other use cases, like, like work, like having your infinite workspace in front of you, like social, where you can hang out with a friend or a family member who's on a different continent in a much more compelling way than a FaceTime call, then it makes sense, in my opinion, to take away the controllers from the base model and sell them separately. But of course, that that means people who want them can still buy them. There's no reason it can't be an accessory that still works. It's just that it's not going to be necessary to the core experience at that point. And just to go back on the face tracking thing, yes, if you're just a gamer who wants to play single player games, that doesn't matter at all to you. But eye tracking will still matter when it comes to things like foveated rendering. And if you're ever playing a multiplayer game, 
there will be times where you turn around and see your friend or your teammate make a facial expression that's contextualized to the moment. And even those small moments might mean a lot more because it's something you've never seen before in any other type of game. You've never seen the shock on your friend's face as a grenade explodes across the room (laughs) or as the enemy team kind of pours through from a position you never thought they were coming from. And I think those moments could be kind of special in VR and could make a lot of people go, wow, that's something I've never experienced in a video game before. So Daniel Leeper has a couple sort of skeptical comments out there. And the, the one in particular that I've gone back here and found is, I'm 41, I'll eat my hat if, in my lifetime, even half the people who work in offices are wearing VR at work. And I love that framing of the sentence, right? You know, he's probably, that the way he framed that, he's probably correct because what's what's going to happen is the people who go to a physical office are going to dwindle year after year after year right so mark zuckerberg and meta and andrew bosworth they are building cambria for the remote workers to enable them to have a better remote work experience and you know like if he doesn't succeed at that then they, you know, they failed, right? They've they've lost. They, they've still got Quest to go back and rely on and keep pushing that. We're still wondering if they're going to succeed. But you don't drive in an hour to an office and then put on this headset for eight hours and then take it off and drive home. You put this device on at home and get your work done more efficiently than if you had gone into the office. And very plainly, Meta is transforming its entire company from the top end down to enable this transformation of those offices dwindling uh, over the next few decades and them being basically the hardware supplier making it possible. Like that's that is the end goal here, right, Heaney? Yeah, I couldn't have put it better than that kind of image of driving all the way to an office to put a VR headset on. Yeah, Daniel, I think you may have slightly misunderstood the idea of it being a work-focused headset, not not in the literal sense of going to work, but in the sense of making it so that the same collaboration and feeling of being in person and real-time working together that's only possible today in a physical office can be achieved from a home position. And from then, you get some of the kind of wider societal benefits and transformations in that it no longer matters what your physical proximity is to the place of employment that you want or that you're currently in. All that matters is your skill set. So people from all over the world can theoretically at that point start to work together with others and be hired. And that changes perhaps even the nature of cities because a lot of the time now the reason that people move to a city is so that they can be close enough to the job they want to work at. But what happens when they can not even have to leave their hometown or their home village or wherever and still work for these large companies they want to work for. That's going to change the world in ways that we haven't even considered. Yeah, it's it's fundamental. And he is, you know, like, I, I still remember that comment from years ago, Zuckerberg saying it's easier to move bits than atoms. And that's fundamentally the bet that Meta has made as a company is in enabling remote communication and feeling like you're actually present even though you're far away. Daniel had a couple other comments of just how long it takes workplaces to upgrade series of windows, right? Like it takes years for a specific enterprise to swap out all their Windows machines for newer machines or to upgrade to a new version of Windows and all of their legacy software platforms. You know, 
the thing that I guess I that the, the stories that Meta is going to be looking for in the next few years is companies that they are supplying VR headsets to that are defeating competitors because they were able to do things more efficiently with VR headsets. I remember the original HTC Vive back in 2016 was supposed to have this Bluetooth connected feature to your phone where you could like answer your phone calls in VR while doing VR. You wouldn't be disconnected. And the feature just disappeared into the ether. It, it died. Even today, there's some features that let you sort of follow your notifications from your phone in VR. But still, it kind of it boggles my, my mind that here we are in 2022, and these VR headsets don't function as phones yet, right? I've thought about this for a really long time, where there is such an advantage to being able to do a video call without video, so to speak, right? Like, I would love to, you know, I like the idea that I can go and grab a VR headset, put it on, and not have to think about whether my room is tidy or my clothes are the cleanest, right? Like, there is an advantage to being able to do a VR call where you don't have to think about those things. And all you're sending across to those people are your expressions and your body movements, right? And we have yet to experience, anyone anywhere has yet to experience what it's like to have a VR phone in their home and how that changes their their fundamental communications behavior. Do you think you're going to answer most of your calls in VR one day, Heaney? Yeah, and I don't think it's just because of that kind of the inconvenience of setting up a webcam setup. I think it's just the fact that it will feel more like being with a real person than seeing them on a little rectangle in front of you and that you can do shared activities. You know, today when you're in a, in a group video call, for example, you're seeing the weirdest thing, a, a grid of faces that are all staring at you when they're communicating with each other. It's just, it's totally unnatural to how we actually think of communication, which is inherently spatial. You know, you're in a circle with people and you turn to face one person and you turn to face another and they face you when they're talking to you and they face the other person. That's just far more like real communication than a grid of faces. And I think that's why people will want to choose it. But also the fact that what's in the middle of that circle, the shared thing that you're working on, that's whereas today there's kind of this separation of, oh, I'll share my screen. And then you're kind of watching that together. And if you want to then bring in, you're going to, oh, well, I'll share my screen. What happens when you're sitting beside someone and they have their screen in front of them and you have your screen in front of yours and you can point to something at their screen and they will see your finger point at that. You can turn and make eye contact with each other and make, have a discussion about it. It just opens up a completely different type of remote collaboration than what we have today. And that's why the people who are bullish on VR for remote work are so and why they do think that this will change things over time. It's a, in, it's an, in a spatial form of remote communication. We didn't plan to talk about it, but there was that new feature that Big Screen rolled out where they have full YouTube support inside of Big Screen, and you can even log in and get all of your rentals from your YouTube library, and then obviously share that with up to, I think, 15 other people across any of Big Screen-supported systems. It basically, what you have in that system is very close to what you just described, Heaney, right? It's not a full-fledged browser that's shareable across standalone and desktop yet, but we're really, really, really close. And obviously the avatars need to improve, the headsets need to improve, but 
all of the all of the pieces are there for having that become a really fundamental way for us to communicate. Well, on in, on PC, big screen already is there in that sense of having those collaborative monitors and immersed the app. It you know it has a subscription price, so it's not really accessible to everyone. But for remote teams, that lets you have multiple virtual monitors, even more virtual monitors than your real monitors. And from your Windows PC or Mac PC, have them all in front of you. And I've tried that a few times. And it's just a profoundly better experience than today's screen sharing. And it'll be so great to see how headsets getting slimmer and lighter and providing more social context and being more integrated with this operating system software changes that equation. But as you keep saying, this is one of those things that a lot of people are going to find very hard to get the advantages of until they really try it. And that's been the case for many technologies over time, but it's really more the case for VR and AR. Because when you see something happening in VR and AR in a trailer on a monitor, it simply doesn't sell the experience because it's not like being there. It's like seeing it on a rectangle. And the whole point that makes VR and AR different from our current devices is that you really feel like you're there and it's not just seeing it on a rectangle. Anything else you want to address here, Heaney, before we close out? We've had a very big show with very big topics, and this is a fascinating discussion because everything that we've talked about here does tie together, and it's going to come together in a very big way at the end of this year, but it's still obviously going to be kind of a long road, right? We're not going to see all the things that we talked about today by the end of this year, but we are kind of seeing everything accelerate at the same time here. He needs like, I think that's what you kind of alluded to at the beginning of this show is it feels like we're in the end game now, so to speak. Yeah, it feels like, well, I wouldn't say the end game. It feels like we're at the start of the beginning where VR is slowly starting to change from this kind of very niche technology that's moving very slowly and being adopted by early adopters to really hitting its stride where this is something that's starting to grow it into vastly different markets and use cases. And other companies are starting to see for the first time, companies that in 2014, when Mark Zuckerberg acquired Oculus for $3 billion, would have laughed at VR or thought of it as some sort of niche curiosity, are now starting to see, wait a minute, this is going to be a huge market. We need to get into this too. So there is going to be in the next few years, a massive expansion of the number of companies entering this space of the investment being made by the main players in this space and for us it's going to be a lot of work because it seems that there's been more news in these first months of 2022 than in most of the years prior and the entire year so yeah we're seeing a market that's growing as i said on twitter a few weeks ago i think this is growing faster than any other consumer technology that is this early in its cycle and it's very exciting to see Daniel making the comment that people don't even want to do video calls as it is. They really don't want to speak to a sort of similar version of someone, but in 3D. I'm going to disagree where, you know, I have done plenty of phone calls with my family where we put on the silly avatar, um, emoji avatars over FaceTime. And the ability to kind of, yeah, I could eat my burger while sending an avatar over to my family that doesn't show me scarfing down on a burger while on a call with them is a feature I could see myself using down the line. And then Bradley saying that he agrees with what you're saying there, Heaney, that it's the hype cycle finally paying off. We had the VR winter of 2017, 2018, and now we are at the beginning of kind of the payoff of, of this VR that you know wasn't there a couple of years ago, right? 
Yeah, and, and just to respond to Daniel, I would say that the reasons that people don't like Zoom calls are actually fairly well understood. Over the pandemic, because of the expansion of kind of Zoom calls, there was a lot of research done into what exactly makes them so annoying over a long time. And there's this phenomenon that is being termed Zoom fatigue, where it is because of all these factors we've mentioned. It's not the fact that you're having a call with someone. It's the fact that you're having a call with something that is so uncannily close to, to real, but yet missing all of the main elements that actually make real communication. It's because of this kind of constant staring forward to these eyes that are all looking not at you, but just ever so slightly off you because they're looking at the screen, not the webcam. They're all facing you at once. There's no spatial sense to what's happening. And it feels just so intense and odd and awkward that you do get this real <laughs> psychological rejection. The, the brain rejects what's happening. And that's what's termed Zoom fatigue. So yes, Daniel, people don't like video calls, but that's exactly why people will like spatial calls more because it will have those elements that aren't present in video calls. People have it in their minds that it's got to be entirely one way or entirely the other, right? Either I've got to have cartoon avatars or I've got to have hyper-realistic avatars. And what's going to happen is there's going to be use cases between those two extremes or even experiences that start off in one extreme and become the other extreme over time. And it's advantageous to be able to strip away your real avatar and show a fully fake avatar that's completely different than your actual persona in the real world and to switch that over at will to something else entirely. We've had wonderful comments here today and Bicycle mentioning me and two of my best friends live in three different cities these days and we've had a great time hanging out in VR since we all got Quest 2s. It's been huge for us and I think that's going to happen a lot more. I think we're at the beginning of that phase. We're in a year where a lot more people are going to come online with VR headsets and going to give a lot of reasons for people who have VR headsets gathering dust to bring those out again and actually get into VR with their friends and family. Thank you so much for our comments this week and for tuning in, giving us your time. Any final comments there, Hini? No, other than that, while you were talking there, I would take the headset off to look through the nose gap at the comments. And I, I agree with you. There's really high quality comments this week. We're getting some really kind of passionate repeat viewers that are bringing insights. And, you know, we do actually make sure to read back on them. So please also leave comments underneath the video afterwards if you have any other thoughts. We, we do read them all and we love to hear your thoughts on these technologies that are emerging so fast. Yeah, this is definitely an ongoing discussion week to week. We kind of build on these things and we will continue this discussion next week. I think we're going to dig into codec avatars in particular, probably more in depth next week. On Thursdays, we've got the games cast with Harry and Jamie and they will get into all the games. And I noticed some people talking about some of the games that are out there in our comments. Definitely go in and tune in with Jamie and Harry to hear their discussion on that. And we've got a showcase coming up uh, very soon as well as just nonstop news coming to UploadVR.com. Again, uh, share our links out. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you in the future.